recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada. Get a Grip Management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Presented by the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, the National Lighting Bureau, the Illuminating Engineering Society, and of course, the International Dark Sky Association. This is Starving for Darkness. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Starving for Darkness podcast with Jane Slade and Michael Colligan. Before we get into it, I want to tell you quickly about the magicians. That's right. The magicians down at Evluma. Go to evluma.com. Greg, they're rethinking LED in all directions. And here's a perfect example is a lot of people have these cob, corn cob LED bulbs. They have one too, but very different from everyone else. First of all, it's small profile which is important, so you, need, you can get yeah. it to fit in the fixture. It's got 20 kV, 10 kV surge protection. A lot of them have half that or less, so that means it's going to last, yeah. and your warranty on it. And it's mm-hmm. 2K to 5K in color temps, so it's got the whole range, everything you need. Just keep then, it low, though, folks. That, Just keep it low. Keep it low. You've got wireless dimming capability with your Connect LED Bluetooth app that you can go right into it. And then the final thing i got to touch is the photo control fail safe. Now, that's actually firmware built into the bulb itself. So if your photocell goes out, the bulb learns over time how the photocell operated and continues to operate as though the photocell is working. Never need to worry about that thing again. That's hitting you with a lot of magic right there. Rethinking LED in all directions. Go to evluma.com. That's evluma.com. Now, Starving for Darkness. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Starving for Darkness. My name is Jane Slade, and I'm here with my co-host, Michael Colligan. And we are so excited to have our guest today, Dr. Joshua Rosenthal, who is a doctor of sleep medicine. I'm so excited to dig into this portion of humanity with you. And what I want to talk about is your background, which is that you are an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, And you are also double board certified in both otolaryngology and sleep medicine, and you are a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. So there's so much to dig into here, and I have been studying up on your expertise, Um, but I want to start off the podcast with a question for you, which is, please tell me about an experience that you had underneath the dark sky that was profound for you, that moved you, that left you with a memory. Oh, wow. Um, you know, well, we don't have such, well, first, let me just thank you guys for having me on again. Um, we don't have such clear skies anymore. And I think, you know, that is probably, we should be having more profound moments under the dark sky. Um, for me, I, I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, when I started practicing sleep medicine, um, I created a little logo for my business at the time and I was driving one night it was a beautiful, clear night, which doesn't happen as often as it should. And the moon was in a crescent, but it was, it was almost smiling. The crescent, you know, was kind of the mm-hmm. angle, and it was almost like a, smi- a smiley face. And to me, I just saw that, and I said, that's, you know, 
I was going to run with that at the time. I've since abandoned that. But the point is, you know, it, it was the beauty of of looking at the moon and just seeing the stars and the moon, and it just caught me. And it and I saw something beyond, obviously, what was there. Um, and, and there's a lot that you know. I mean, when you just think of the space and the galaxy and the stars and how many light years we are away from you know the, the the light that we see i mean it is really amazing and we are just little specks you know in a, in mm -hmm. this large vast you know universe um and so i think you know that it really is a, a microcosm of the physics and our understanding of you know astrophysics quantum physics our understanding of of these sciences is really so minuscule as well and so i think that's an interesting kind of correlation that we really are at our infancy of understanding a lot of how the world works. Mm -hmm. So you are an ENT, uh, your nose and throat doctor. How did you get into sleep medicine? Yeah, so um, quite honestly, my interest was in sleep apnea. Um, mm. And that's probably when most people think of sleep disorders, that's probably the most common thing people think about. And the truth is, is, you know, in getting uh, board certified in the, you know, the education, the training for that, I learned that, wow, there is a ton of other stuff that's quite interesting uh, mm -hmm. besides just sleep apnea. And sleep apnea is kind of, I consider it low-lying fruit because sleep is such a complicated thing. You know, looking at how it breaks down is very interesting, but sleep apnea is just a, an end product that's kind of far down the road, in my opinion, of all the things that happened way before that. And, um, you know, in my own life, you know, I ballooned up to about 220 pounds after I graduated residency. And of course, my ability as a physician, as somebody who just spent a quarter million dollars on his training to become a doctor, was so limited in trying to help myself. Uh, and of course, mm -hmm. all I knew was diet and exercise, which is what everybody, you know, thinks of as the penultimate way to lose weight. But, um, you know, I, like everybody else, struggled with that too. And so it took me a while doing my own citizen science and trying to figure things out. And that led me down a lot of different rabbit holes, which which connected back up to sleep and light. Uh, and then I knew I was on the right path to try to figure things out. So I hadn't even thought we were going to touch ab uh, about weight gain, and I'm suddenly very intrigued personally. Okay. So <laughs> what's the correlation there? Well, so, you know, sleep is probably one of the greatest health metrics that we don't look at enough. Um, you know, my experience as a sleep physician, you know, the one great thing about sleep medicine, it's very cut and dry. Sleep problem, sleep test, sleep problem, sleep test. And so, of course, we're looking for a disease and, you know, sleep apnea is one of those. But I had all these people that I was studying with the sleep test. And all of them claim to have a sleep problem. And, you know, it's kind of like in business that customers always write. So, I knew they were right. I mean, I knew there was something, if you're complaining of a sleep problem, you're probably not making it up. But if they didn't have a finding that labeled them with a disease, I felt like I couldn't help them because I didn't know what to do. And so those patients started to kind of stick in my craw and kind of kept me up at night thinking, you know, what do I need to figure out how to help these people? And so I really dug deeper um, at that point. And so sleep itself controls your glucose metabolism, your fat burning, your immune mm. system that might be important in today's goings-ons. So, you know, these are all controlled by hormones, all that play a part. Melatonin, obviously everybody knows melatonin is kind of the, 
the hormone of darkness, but it's actually yeah. a hormone that's activated during daylight, but it is the kind of conductor. And once that starts to go away, all of a sudden now you start to see you don't make growth hormone, you don't make testosterone or the appropriate amount of sex hormones, you don't make you know any leptin and you become leptin resistant. And that's the hormone that decides whether or not you should burn fat. So there's just wow. some of the loose connections and it gets a lot tighter when you really go deep into the biochemistry. But so if you don't have good sleep, you will gain weight potentially, um, a host of other problems It's connected to the neurotransmitters. So it goes, you know, depression, anxiety, um, headaches. You can really connect this to autoimmunity. Um, so th there's really a lot of deep connections to health problems today. And if you look, you'll find they tie into your circadian rhythms, your hormones, and they all tie to sleep. In your opinion, what is the number one issue facing people and sleep today? Well, I think, you know, as people may be listening or watching this podcast, um, we have lost touch with the biophysics of how, you know, health and, and our bodies really work. And we are actually beings of light. And, and a lot of people say that and they mean that in a very, you know, woo kind of yeah, out baby. there sort of a way, <laughs> you know, and. You know, I love me some woo too, but I want the hard science. But when you look at the science, yeah. I mean, this has been studied back from when Fritz Pop started measuring biophotons from plants and, and animals. And, you know, we emit light that can't be seen, but it is still light. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we work on light. We've used the sun and the darkness, you know, the light and the day cycle to run our biology. And so our body knows when to make the donuts based on what time of day it is. And so the first question you should ask is, how do I know what time of day it is? And so right now, as we are all staring in front of a LED sort of monitor, okay, we are getting light that has a color temperature of noon. And you can say, I don't you know, I'm, it's about two o'clock right now. That's not so, so bad. But what happens mm. when that later at night, you're getting that same light, or you look at your phone to check some text or Facebook or an email or whatever it is, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and you're telling your brain, your master clock, that it's noon, well, then you didn't make the donuts. And so, you know, melatonin requires, it was designed for absolute darkness, but we don't have absolute darkness anymore. And the greatest suppressor of melatonin is blue light. And so most screen technology, LED, any sort of artificial light usually has a pretty high peak in the blue spectrum. And so when you actually look at the colors that make up like the rainbow, you know, that's everything, uh, you know, Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, uh, blue, orange, uh, blue and violet. The LED white light, which we think of as white, if you actually look at the spectrum, you'll see there's a large peak in the blue and there's not a lot mm -hmm. of red. And, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, you know, we have a receptor in our skin, in our eyes, in our fat tissue that looks to see if blue light is present and it's called melanopsin. And so mm -hmm. the constant bathing of blue light and artificial, uh, you know, frequencies emitted by the technology that we're all so, you know, closely related to now, and uh, it's part of our culture and our jobs and our occupations. So we can't really divorce ourselves of it, but that light those frequencies are telling our body a certain signal and there are consequences. Mm -hmm. So you have an ebook that you suggest to people to read. It's a free ebook, if I'm, if I'm correct. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just a starter, you know, to get people to dip, uh, I think, their toes into thinking a little bit differently. I mean, one is, you know, how do we measure our sleep? And um, mm -hmm. that's the biggest problem, you know, and every once in a while, I will look at my sleep with different tools. Right now, I have uh, a ring. Many people know about the Aura Ring, but I would tell you, I think the Aura Ring is is really far inferior to giving you a good reading. I would say, you know, if you really look at it, you'll say, oh, hey, I was awake. It didn't see that. When you actually look, you know, the only true measurements that I really trust are measurements from brainwaves, you know, so from mm -hmm. something that's going to be on your head measuring an EEG style reading to make a sleep determinant, because that's, that's our sleep test. It has a brain, you know, component, an EEG component, and that's how we stage what stage of sleep you're in. And so while these devices are helpful and convenient and, you know, wearing something on your finger is a lot better than having, you know, something on your head, uh, you know, I, I think there's also a false um, hope that what this little thing says is the gospel, you know, and so, but you need to know the quality of your sleep. And uh, I found that, you know, people with severe sleep apnea who have a very big problem, they sometimes say, hey, I sleep fine. So what you realize when you've seen enough people like that is you can't, you can't tell me how great your sleep is because you're unconscious. So when you realize that your estimate of how good your sleep is, is already not a valid de determination, that's, a, that's the first step is realizing that the only evidence is something that's tangible, not how you think your sleep is. Because a lot of people think, well, I put my head down at time A and I woke up at time B, so look how great I did. That's, that's eight hours. And they say, seven, eight hours, I got it. But um, the quality therein, you know, if you don't have any melatonin, you're not, you're not kicking off the different stages appropriately. You may not be staying in the stages long enough. Um, you may not be making your hormones as you should. You know, melatonin is very important in mitochondrial health, which, you know, is, in my opinion, the next level, you know, of, of health because the mitochondria are kind of the transducer of, of light signals. And so... Mm. They are measuring your environment. And so this light day cycle is just one of the many ways your body is measuring the environment. It wants to know what day it is, what season it is. I mean, how do you think your body knows how to run different, we'll say, biochemical technology for whether you live on the equator or whether you live at the North Pole? Chemical process. And those all get whittled down to how the mitochondria processes uh, you know, energy and information. And it's, it's, it's all physics. The sad part here is, you know, as, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I spent a quarter million dollars to become a doctor only to learn, you know, a decade in that, wow, I got to go back to medical school and learn how the physics side works because mm -hmm. we are biochemical beings that translate biochemistry from the biophysics. And I think that's where people have missed some of the boat. And so we don't realize that sitting in front of a screen all day and all night is potentially one of the most dangerous things you could do for your health. So mm -hmm. just to jump in here, it's interesting. My, um, my, uh, my <clears throat> brother was, a, I got like, I got a million notes already. So uh, he was a float plane, float plane pilot. Okay. So he would fly people into Northern Canada, land on lakes and, and stuff like that. So he befriended uh, many of the First Nations people that live up there and would fish with them and went on hunting expeditions with them and stuff like that. And they would tell him, there's food you can't eat, actually. Okay? So they would say, no, 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 you, you, you're not going to eat this. And he didn't really want to eat it because it 
it didn't look particularly appetizing what they were eating, but they were eating, you know, different kinds of foods that you really have to grow up with. You can't just decide that you're going to start eating the uh, polar bear liver, for example, or something. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was, but it was some type of meat. And they said, no, 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 you can't eat that, that you just have this stuff here. And so, yeah, there is a difference between, you know, different climates and where people live and it's anecdotal. And now I know it, there's a, there's a sleep and light portion to it. But I was going to ask you, you said, you said that we've lost touch with the, with rhythms. Would, would you say that that's better described as took for granted? Because I don't know if we ever had a touch on it. Like if well, I mean, if you look at native, it. yeah, native Aboriginal cultures, I mean, you know, I mean, just think, I mean, the Egyptians worshipped the sun. I mean, a lot of cultures, they spent, they were, you know, they, they ran around barefoot, half naked. They were connected to the earth, to the sun, to the, the moon, the cycles of, of, of the planet. Um, and I guess, you know, I would say as a species, as human beings, where we went wrong is we used this creative masterpiece that was placed between our ears, which separates us from everybody else is that we can think so much in a much more complex way, but all the developments that we've made, we never considered what is the impact on our own health because we don't really understand health. I think deep enough in the way that we need to. I mean, well, look, we I mean, see we're... ourselves as above health, like right. Well, that's it's the entitlement that we we yes. created. We have to. We've claimed it. Yes, we can do it, and we're going to do it. You know. Yeah, it's the hundred um, percent. Marshall McLuhan said, first we shape technology, then technology shapes us," and and so it's like you, who you actually are, you know. And but what I wanted to ask, well, I you think healthcare is exactly that statement. Yeah, I mean, look at healthcare. Healthcare is a result. Why do? Um, Nations that do not have the same, uh, you know, standard of living and, and develop, you know, under underdeveloped nations. Why is their health better in a lot of ways? Sure. I mean, they still have yep. certain things, you know, problems with disease, but their health, they don't have fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis and no. depression and anxiety. They die you know, from and malaria people, or right. other diseases and, But even like they that, run yeah. around and thrive with malaria. Sure. You know, I have a friend who went to, you know, Africa and you, the people look like Michael Jordan running around with malaria, uh, you know, and HIV. And so... It's not the same as what we what we think, you know. I mean, you or I get malaria, we'd be hospitalized and, and near death. But there yeah, are people sure. thriving, yeah. So, I talked to another doctor at a, at a dinner party, and he had mentioned to me that um, uh, when they're they're one of the things he does to find out if someone is depressed or if they're lacking in sleep. So he said a lot of like cl diagnosed clinical depression is actually somebody that's not sleeping enough. That's what he told me. So he said the first thing they do is they do a sleep test on them. And if their sleep test with the little, all the things, you know, they put on it. And if the sleep test comes back with a certain <clears throat> amount of, yes, you're receiving positive sleep, then they look into the source that the source is a general depression. Would you agree with that as well? Is that a, like a place to start for that kind of a situation? Well, I think today, you know, things are so different today than they were 10 years ago. I mean, if you asked me that question mm. 10 years ago, I would have said, sure. But I think today, you you know, we want to protect people from themselves. And there are people with severe depression and, mm -hmm. and you know, um, you know, mental issues that are, that are that are really bad. But, you know, there's a crosstalk between, you know, your neurochemistry and your sleep. And so uh, insomniacs are known to have a higher rate of depression and anxiety and people with depression and anxiety also have a higher rate of having insomnia. So there is this kind of bi-directionality. Um, and it really makes sense when you understand that a lot of these uh, you know, hormones 
and 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 as I said, neurotransmitters are kind of balanced and and harmonized, if you will, or adjusted in sleep, created. And so the same problems that you have when you have poor sleep are going to then throw off your hormones. And so if you have, you know, poor hormones, poor neurotransmitters, well, what is depression? It's a lack of certain neurotransmitters, you know, and how do we, you know, and, you know, standard medicine gives you pills that try to adjust the, you know, the balance of these things, whether it be serotonin or dopamine or different, you know, drugs like this. And so these are well, but these are drugs, these are, are not drugs, these are chemicals that are created and programmed by light frequencies, you know, and this is what's really interesting. And so again, when the light frequencies that we're exposed to are artificial and only, you know, I think the greatest way to look at light, the sun is like a well-balanced diet of light. So, you know, people think a salad is healthy, but, you know, or at least a plate with a lot of different colors of food on it. So it's the same thing, you know, all the colors of the rainbow are in you know, the sun, when we sit here indoors and are exposed to this, it's like having a Snickers bar, right? Why is that? And I'm not picking on Snickers or Mars Corporation. I have no, you know, no bad feelings for them. But anyhow, it's one particular major frequency. It's not evenly balanced, right? And so you have to say, have we studied what that will do to a human being? Well, this is the experiment. Look around and you're seeing the results of what a single frequency of light predominantly during day and even nighttime hours when we're not supposed to have it, what happens? And this is what we're seeing in health today. You know, we the health to, crisis. We start is, to starve for darkness. That's what happens. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem is, is darkness is, is, is endangered, is an endangered species. How do you like that? Yeah. There you go. You know, yeah. Um, we agree. You know, I, totally I, I got, I got called upon by a local resident of Long Island because they were putting up LED street lamps in her area. And she's very sensitive to light uh, issues. And now outside of her window in her bedroom, she now has an LED light that's glaring in. Mm -hmm. And right before the town passed that, Harvard published a study saying there was an increase of breast cancer with LED street lamps. Mm -hmm. Now, what's crazy is not only did the mayor of this town say, well, this is a terrible study. Anyhow, people forget that it's not just a street lamp. It's in our houses. Sure. You know, the LED yep. technology in the street lamp is no different from the hi-hat in your house, from the screen, from the tablet, from the phone. All this light is the same. And so we have to kind of not forget that not only have we polluted our indoor environment, we're now polluting the outdoor as well. And so that's at least I can control my indoor environment. I can control the type of lighting. But if you put it, uh, if I want to walk outside at night and enjoy you know, a starry evening and there are LED street lamps up, I really don't have any recourse to fix that, you know. And so my choices are to not do that because I know it's really not good, you know, to be under those lights. It's a problem. So what does, what does an ideal night of sleep look like in the body? What are some of the incentives? Because I think um, mm. it's really hard to incentivize with you know put your phone down you know don't check instagram because that sounds like a negative but what are they missing what's the good stuff okay well one is there are ways to use technology more safely we'll we'll touch on that at some point but the question is what are the benefits mm -hmm. of sleep okay so mm -hmm. hormones so if you are dealing with a stubborn weight that you can't lose again that may be related to excess cortisol that may be related to being leptin resistant. These are all hormones that, again, I have 
control under sleep and con and connect to sleep. Um, if you have poor memory, you can't remember things the way you used to, and you go, "Oh, it's just my age." Well, you know, your brain prunes, you know, your 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 neurons like a like a gardener pruning a plant to make sure that you can make these connections and remember things. Um, your brain actually detoxes the bad chemicals that are made from living. Um, mm. We found, you know, there's something called the glymphatic system with a G, not lymph as in L, but glymphatic system. And when you're asleep, your brain literally drains out toxic chemicals from the body. So, you know, there's a myriad reasons to get good sleep. And so those are just some of them. Your immune system is built during your sleep. Um, you know, really interesting caveat that I like to tell people, you know, when they take uh, rodents like mice and, and rats and put them on a treadmill and sleep deprive them. So they have to continually run to, you know, because they, uh, they, they can't fall asleep. They die of sepsis. They die of infection in their blood. So literally sleep deprivation is draining your immune system. And this is a year where I think everybody appreciates a good immune system. So the first thing you can do to help your immune system is make melatonin naturally by mm -hmm. blocking blue light frequencies. It's very, it's a very simple start. Now that's not, you know, what I said there has a lot of nuance to it, but you can take a step instantly to start doing that. And there's a lot of ways to do that. So we are really in a sleep epidemic, I would say, since that most of us have a device in our hands pretty much all the time. Uh, and I, I know that the Illuminating Engineering Society, they have a course on light and health. Um, and one of the things I took away from that course was actually the TV is not really as bad as the phone, because the phone is right up on your retina. And uh, I was watching some interviews with you today, and um, the, it's not just that the eye is part of the brain, it's that the eye is the brain. It's just this outer focus of the brain uh, on our faces, basically. So um, when we have the phone in our hands and we close our eyes and we can see the rectangle, I mean, surely that's some kind of circadian stimulation. Um, so how is this? I want to ask you from the point of view of someone who is delivering all of this information, how do you yourself keep yourself from these temptations? So there's two approaches, right? One is to, you know, become a hermit and live in, you know, a totally rural area with no light and no technology. And, and I don't see a lot of people getting online for that experience. Um, and obviously as a physician, uh, you know, myself, I too am married to technology, whether I like it or not. So, you know, the first thing is, is these glasses that I'm wearing, you know, have special lenses that block a, a percentage, about 40% of the blue light. In addition, right now, my screen also has some special software on it to uh, uh, reduce the flicker and to pull out mm. blue frequency light as well. And so right there, I'm already reducing and mitigating my risk. You know, if you just think of blue light from artificial sources, because not all blue light is bad. The sun has blue light. But if you think of blue light from artificial sources as a toxin, you know, as cigarettes, you know, well, if you smoke a little bit, your risk is only a little bit to get cancer. So the more blue light, the worse off things are. And so, you know, you're going to have some exposures and how do you mitigate them? And so, you know, one thing is with eye protection and there's different needs for the daytime 
because we are meant to have blue light. So you don't want to wear something that blocks, completely blocks blue light from your eyes during day because your brain needs to know it's daytime. Um, mm -hmm. And then nighttime, you were designed to have no blue light. So this is where it's a real big issue because everywhere you go from the xenon headlamps that in the car that's facing you, you know, if you go out to meet some friends for a drink, you know, or you go out for dinner late, you know, the lighting in the restaurant. So everywhere you go, you know, the street lamps, as we said, everywhere you go, you have these artificial lights. So you can wear a different, you know, kind of lens to block, you know, the harmful frequencies. So the, it's interesting because I, I also, I, I work in the hazardous waste space. Okay. As well. I, I, um, long story there, won't get into it, but I, <laughs> there was a term there that I heard, which was particularly scary. They called it incremental creep. Okay. So what happens mm -hmm. is you bury something in the ground, like some sort of <clears throat> waste. Okay. And the groundwater in that area may only move six feet a year. Okay. And so this place in Switzerland, they buried um, batteries in the ground in time inside these steel containers. Okay. And it took about 60 years for the chemicals from the battery to get into the, into the groundwater. And then they started to have all these cancers. And the point that the guy was making is that humans are very good. Their science and what you look at are very good at acute problems. So if somebody, you know, has an acute problem all of a sudden because they are hit by a car, I don't know, you know, give me an example. You know, you get sick because of, um, you know, exposure to some chemical or something like this. Humans are good at identifying it and uh, assessing why it happened, right? So this is caused mesothemioma comes from exposure to, you know, asbestos particulates in the air. And look at that. We see this causation. We saw the thing, the effect, whatever. But the longer that separation from the consequences is from the cause, the less likely humans are to be able to identify what the cause is because you could surpass a generation of scientists with it, okay? And what we've seen in the last 20, 30 years is the incremental increase of blue light at night everywhere to the point where people forget, as Jane says, they don't even know what they're missing, to the point this incremental creep is in lighting. People just assume that streets were always 100% illuminated uniformly at night. And they forget that you used to have a high pressure sodium, very low or low pressure sodium, very low Kelvin temperature light focused in one area. You know, when we were kids, we're going to play under the street light, right? We're going to, you know what I'm saying? This kind of thing. Right. How, how does, how, as a scientist, how, do, and as a, you know, someone that, you know, sells light bulbs, how do you, how do we get out of that trap of being so short term focused and not able to see the effects of things over the long term? Yeah, I mean, the big the big trap is that we assume we understand the workings of the human being well enough that we can add new technology and it doesn't have any impact. And that disconnects what we said earlier is that the reason you don't see um, that chemical damage is because no one's studying the chemical effects on human beings to know or could have an, even have the idea of how it is going to cause damage because it's really all systems, you know. Um, systems analysis is much more difficult because one thing leads to another needs another it's not as linear a goes to b goes to c and and we fall into that trap all the time and the big problem is light is nonlinear. light is not a um 
you know, A goes to B goes to C. It's A goes to Z and beyond in, in, a, in a second. And it happens at light speed. And that's, you know, pun intended, right? I mean, um, what people don't realize is, and you mentioned earlier about the TV isn't as bad as the phone. I mean, again, it's, well, do you understand light? I mean, incandescent bulb, which would be the best light bulb from a blue light, you know, sure. how much blue light to red light there is, was the first mismatch of our circadian rhythms because we weren't designed. You know, clothing was, even if you want to go back even further, clothing was really the first <laughs> mismatch because we have receptors on our skin that detect blue light. Okay, I have um, to ask you this question. I've been, I was going to wait, but I just have to ask you right now, okay? I have to. <laughs> so I do another lighting podcast called the Get a Grip on Lighting Podcast, and we've interviewed a lot of health. Health effects is a massively huge subject. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. uh, Dr. Mark Ray, Dr. Marianne Figueroa, Dr. Jennifer Veach, and I could just keep reeling them off to you. Um, but I've always asked them, and they kind of were not sure. This is a tough one to ask. But are sunglasses bad for you? Like, for mm -hmm. years, okay, for years, we've been told the sun is horrible for you. Layer yourself in 60-degree sunscreen. Make sure you put on your eyeglasses that automatically reduce the sunlight into your eyes. If not, wear sunglasses. And it's like now they're like, well, we can bring all that sunlight inside with, the, with these fancy lights. <laughs> And, and, you know, and it's going to be the same as the sun. And I'm thinking like, well, well are we going to have to wear sunglasses inside now? So what, I, what I've always wondered is, like, number one, uh, I'm, a, I'm not extreme on anything. Like, I think if you go lie in the beach all day long in the sun, you should probably put on some sunscreen. You know, if you're there, throw a pair of shades on. Maybe you look cool. Okay. But <laughs> the, you have people that literally live in a condo. They go down to the parking garage. They get in their car. They have SPF 15 all over the face. Okay, they put it all over their hands or whatever, SPF 50, whatever. Then they put on a pair of sunglasses. They drive their car to another parking garage. Put the hat garage. on. Don't forget they brought the yeah, hat. Put the hat on. They drive to another parking garage, right? And then they go in that parking garage. They go up in it. Well, maybe not now. Maybe they're just inside all day. I don't know. But I have this feeling like that sunglasses are might, have, might be one of those things that's preventing people <laughs> from uh, developing vitamin D. And one of the things that I noticed about sunglasses, once you start wearing them, they're kind of addictive. Like the more you wear mm -hmm. the people, there are people that can never go outside without sunglasses. And I'm not talking about older people that have retinal damage or, you know, have problems with their eyes. It's a different situation. I'm talking about regular people, no eye problems, no eyeglasses will refuse to go outside in sunshine without their, their sunglasses on. And there's almost like an addiction to it. Is, is my gut instinct that Perhaps the overuse of sunglasses is actually bad for you and sunscreen? Yeah, you're spot on on a lot of issues. You may not know the science or why, but 100%. So I'll take you back to the, the best example from the original guy who figured out how light affects living creatures, which is John Ott. He has a great sure, book yes. called Health and, Health and Light. Uh, and in, in that book, uh, he talks about you know, one of the um, African hospitals, the owner of the hospital, the aboriginals, uh, that, the people that lived around there, um, some white men, you know, the white man came down and they, they liked the sunglasses and they started wearing the sunglasses. They traded and bartered for the sunglasses. And so they'd be half naked, you know, doing their thing, wearing the sunglasses and they saw spikes of cancer in the hospital, Wow, mm. you know, from the sunglasses. So, you know, unfortunately the eye is the instructions. The eye is where you get instructions mm -hmm. on how to run your body. And so anything. I finally so I got say, the answer. I love yeah. it. I love it. Sunglasses. 
<laughs> are like putting a tarp on the plant you're trying to grow in your backyard. Exactly. You, know, you can water it, you can put nutrients in, but it's not getting the important energy and information. And I think what we also forget is sunlight is not just energy, it's information. There is a ton of information. Mm. And um, when you wear sunglasses, you're changing anything that changes that frequency, even just glasses, wearing glasses outside. When I'm outside, I put my lenses down or I put them on top of my mm -hmm. head because I want to get that information into my eyes um, that, you know, it gets gets through the eye, it builds a lot of those neurotransmitters, activates them, programs them, it gets into the blood, it energizes the red blood cells, which then ferry that light information. And when you think about it, I mean, the amount of frequencies of light that we have, we're talking about this almost near infinite supply of information that can be transmitted. And ultimately, people forget that proteins are really little antennas. You know, if anyone's ever seen, there's a you know, when they communicate in space, they have these antennas and they have all these little weird shapes, you know, that they, they make these antennas. It's not just like a little like an old school radio antenna that telescopes out. And that's how they communicate, you know, with some of these, you know, space devices. And, you know, the truth is, is every protein in our body has a shape and a resonance and it, it mm. interacts with different frequencies of light. And, um, you know, UV light, which has been so damned by science is 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 really important because a lot of the the compounds are uv light traps that so soak up uv light and a lot of the neurotransmitters i mean if you look at the absorption of a lot of amino acids it's in the uv range and here's the next mm -hmm. crazy step is that we have a uv light sensor in our retina so if uv light is so bad <clears throat> why did nature god whoever you want to call it design us by putting a receptor for UV light in our eye. That's this goes we also all have back it on our it, skin. Doc, you know, I mean, it's 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 right there. This goes all back to that thing of us seeing us some somehow separate, like as if yeah. you know what hurts the turtles. The birds can fly over there if they right. don't like our lights that are so great for us. It's, it goes back to that sort of hubris that humans seem to feel when they make interventions. You know, this intervention is good. Wear sunglasses. Um, where, and then there's marketing all, oh, you're so cool. Yeah. You know, all this kind of stuff that goes with it. And then the, the companies that make it not lots of money on those sunglasses, you know, I mean, I'm not here to kick Luxottica or whoever in the butt, but yeah. what I'm saying is that they've, they sold pseudoscience to people in the form of, and like, there's not, there's only a couple businesses that are, that are this popular. One is perfume, water in a little jar for a hundred bucks. Right? You want to you want to buy some water in a jar for a hundred bucks, and then sunglasses. <laughs> you want to buy a, a ten cent piece of glass and some metal for right. five hundred dollars. Super profitable businesses, okay? So then they they go and they they operate like tobacco. Not that I don't know about perfume, but they operate like tobacco companies, where their 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 hypothesis conclusion is already assumed, and so they say something like. Well, more light means more safety, so prove that for me. Right? And they trot out statistics to prove any like prove to me that sun, that the sun is bad for your eyes. Well, this guy has some retinal damage and da, da, da. He, if he had worn sunglasses for the last 30 years, he wouldn't have that. Yeah, but he might have gotten prostate cancer when he was 41 instead. You understand what I'm saying? So the the trade-offs in that. How do you how do how do we step back from this at like the lighting issue, you know, the assumption Jane and I have uh, discovered it is more light equals more safety. That's never been proven. 
Nobody has ever proved that. Never been proven. Assumption? It's linear thinking. So then yeah, we don't that means really that if you understand things, that's right. And that now there's been something happened outside this building. That's a criminal thing or whatever liability related. Somebody slipped, whatever you want. Right. That's because we need more of that assumption there and then more of that assumption there. And so now you perpetuate this and it gets cheaper and cheaper with LED lights. Now you're stuck in this cycle, this trap. And this podcast is meant to break that, break out of that trap, that status quo bias. Get out of the status quo bias. How do you do that in science? Well, the first thing is you have to look for the hidden bias, you know, as a consumer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm not popular with the lighting manufacturers on LinkedIn when I make my comments because, you know, they publish their <laughs> great, you know, great new stuff and they go, oh, look how great this is. And I go, this is terrible. You know, <laughs> you're ignoring the evidence, you know. Um, and, it's, and it's true. Whenever there is evidence that goes against your livelihood, you're going to have a cognitive dissonance to not want to believe that. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. if, you're, if yeah. your wallet, your pocketbook is affected by this information, you don't really want to hear that. You know, I think it's um, worse than that. I think it's even worse than that. You ever meet like a smoker that doesn't believe smoking causes lung cancer? They're still out there. Like there's yeah, but that's like, again, so it doesn't even dissonance. It's affecting exactly. It's affecting their pocketbook, but they just can't admit they're wrong. Like that's mm. the. I you, think that's you know, even look, more we powerful. We all have than the core money. beliefs. We have core beliefs that that you know don't even have to do with health. Um, that we hang on to when we have no evidence, and they're 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 actually wrong. And we'll 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 make decisions. We'll ruin relationships over them. I mean, you mm. know, this gets into so many different you know aspects of life, but. We will take a belief and that we just won't give up that, that belief, even though there could be overwhelming evidence that it is not correct anymore. And you're saying, and it's again, it's a human, it's a human foible. In other words, it's the same thing. It's that hubris to believe that we're, we're above our technology. Right. Our thoughts are so powerful. Why should our thought be knocked down? Because I want to believe that. And we place it on a pedestal and we never take it down and we go down in flames for that belief. And so unfortunately nature, has created a solution. And, you know, when people say survival of the fittest, you know, your beliefs, if you won't let go of bad beliefs, it's going to, nature will take you out. It's you know very what? simple. And we're it, seeing it, that. It's interesting. In the Old Testament, they're, they're constantly talking about idolatry. And it doesn't make mm. sense to anybody, right? What's idolatry? They're worshiping Baal? What, like, I don't understand right. that. That is nothing. Are you kidding me? There is more idolatry in our thinking than ever. People are literally worshiping all manner of crazy institutions and ideas that actually, mm. if it wasn't for their conviction, confirmation, and group biases altogether, you know, they would never believe them because it's, it, it doesn't make any sense. But because of those things, they, they're literally, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a form of, in my opinion, it's a form of idolatry, some of the, what goes on in in um in our thinking in in the modern world i agree we we've converted from having sun god and moon god and earth god to having social media god and email god and mm -hmm. you know i need to have social proof god and you know and so these become the foundations of how we base our entire life and you know we look at the you know the people who worship the sun as a god as foolish but yet yeah, for sure i'm sure uh -huh. generations to come people look back and say they worship this little square piece of plastic. I don't understand. And this was the, yeah. this is what caused their their downfall is this small little square of plastic that they always had to hold. And 
and the world ended because they weren't looking up above it, you know, and it's, we see this, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of the people, you know, they're in the Louvre, they're at the you know, World Series, and they're all, they're looking at the phone and no one's looking above when there's this, all this world around them that's going on. And it's so sad because, you know, we, we do have our head in the sand as a society. And so, you know, I hope that people listening are waking up and, you know, even just a little awareness of this problem in yourself can start to be the wedge to kind of help break that bond that, that it has over you. That's a, the medium is the I message. Do, <laughs> the medium is the yeah, message. I, Sorry, Jim. I no, really, yeah. no, no, that's okay. I, I, I must admit that uh, two nights ago, I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was shocked by the problem I talk about all the time every day, light pollution. It just hit me like it was the first time and it scared me. And it, it was truly an idea that kept me up at night, that we are illuminating our exteriors at night through the night. And because it's so triggering to all living things. And so I, I do think you're right that um, I, I wonder if this little plastic device that we hold in our phones, in our hands, is the equivalent of the Roman baths, which reduced the... Um, the fertility of the Roman men so that suddenly Rome fell. Uh, you know, it could be right. one of those those environmental factors that really starts to change our society. And, and you know, when we think about blue light, and all of us have been saying this in different ways, but that, you know, and I loved what you said, um, Joshua, about this is that we're, we're actually doing a major study right now. If you want to know what a single wavelength of light, what kind of impact that has. Well, we're mm. doing that across the face of the earth, basically showing what, you know, an overexposure to blue light does to people. And I think we're all feeling this, this um, almost numbness. We're overstimulated. We're constantly um, feeling tired, but awake that there's just all of these mixed messages that we feel that we kind of describe, you know, being like, oh, I'm tired today or I'm bored or all these things. But this is actually um, the, the verbal anecdote of the story that's happening inside of our body. And I was on your Twitter today and I saw you posted something about um, about uh, green light affecting or being used to treat migraines. And this got me thinking, because when I'm, ta when I'm talking to, to people who are just learning and waking up to the light pollution problem, I am always describing what it was like when we were wild. And so that was hunting and gathering under the blue dome or the green forest canopy. And so what my mind thought when I, when I read that article that you posted was, you know, is this something that, that those people are starving for? for being under a forest canopy outside with that beautiful green light hitting their heads and that they're simply just not getting it. And so you also talk about the effect of light and mood. Um, and, you know, I want to hear about the bad side of it, but I also want to hear if you have any advice for how we can lift our mood with light, uh, yeah. just to give people the other side and the incentive. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything you said is spot on. I mean, we are really solar deficient and blue light toxic. It's very simple. We, we have way too much blue light and none of the other frequencies. And blue light by itself has an inflammatory uh, stimulating effect that nature used in conjunction with red light. And this is why we're really in such trouble is because we have all blue light technology without the red light. The sun has an even balance and red light is kind of the antidote, if you will, to blue light. And so mm. 
The other benefit is, like you said, green light. What about green light? What about yellow light? What about orange light? And, you know, while we haven't had huge research on all the different frequencies to the way we have for, let's say, red and blue light, which are the most frequent, and um, there's going to be that day when we're going to have all this evidence. Oh, well, yellow light cures lupus. I mean, I don't know. I'm making this stuff up. But in other words, these frequencies yeah. are going to activate different proteins. And so, yes, just get outside. It's very simple. But what is the benefit of all these other frequencies? Well, for one is, um, you know, we have an opioid crisis today and mm -hmm. um, we didn't have this when I was a kid. You know, kids did drugs, but it was not, you know, as as bad as it is today. Um, and we have this mood problem where kids are shooting each other up and suicide. I mean, I think pretty soon, you know, teenage suicide will be the number one cause of death in that age group. And, and it will pass accidents. It used to be more vehicle accidents and tr other tragedies. But, you know, what is the benefit of going out in the sun? Um, well, there is a, a protein called POMC, P-O-M-C, and it's, it's an acronym. It stands for pro-opio-melanocortin. And opio sounds like opioid. And it it's part of that protein is cleaved and turned into your body's natural opium, which is called beta endorphins. And so if you ever had that like really good feeling after being outside all day, you know, that's because you literally were creating natural opioids in your body. And, mm. you know, nature designed you to be addicted to the sun. You know, I mean, it's a weird mm -hmm. thing. And we talked about this kind of aversion to the sun and it's, it's an adjustment thing. You know, unfortunately, the more we're away from it, the harder it is for our body to accept that light when we get exposed to it. And this is why, as you said, you know, you wear the sunglasses and it becomes, you're addicted to the sunglasses. The opposite is true, that the sun seems to hurt when you're unable to have the, the chemical processes and the, all the necessary receptors to absorb that light. And as you lose those, those receptors, if you will, those catching gloves for the light photons, if you will, then all of a sudden it seems like it hurts you. But the more time you spend outside, and you can slowly build that back up. But unfortunately, people think, oh, this is, again, it's that linear thinking. The sunlight hurts my eyes. They tell me light is bad. I stay out of the sun. It's very, you know, it's a very cut and dry system. But, you know, you go out in the sun, you feel good. Um, again, you will start to balance your hormones. You'll be start to create, um, you know, appropriate amounts of hormones. I mean, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is hormones are supposed to go up and down too. Um, and light mm. turns them on and off. And when you don't ever get the signal to turn off hormones, that's another problem. So you can be constantly putting out tons of hormones. I mean, let's just think about, you know, when we were kids, when puberty happened in, in children. And let's think about the differences that we see today. You know, and do yes. we think that technology and lights and clocks are another component of why they're having such early puberty? Um, I mean, I see 20 and 30 year olds that have no testosterone. That's when your testosterone is supposed to be at its peak. How can you mm. have low testosterone when you're actually mm. at the age that it should be at its peak? I mean, people have to ask the right questions if they want to find out what's going on. I mean, we can't say, well, low T, where, where did that come from? It came from somewhere, right? And these are usually the muscle head guys, I hate to say it, that are in the gym under blue light 24 seven. And guess oh, what? When wow. you work out under blue light, Working out is a very stressful event in and of itself. When you do it under very stressful light, you are making sure, and this is with or without steroids and all the other bad things that weightlifters do, but people will always blame it on steroids and other obvious, simple things without understanding the physics of how it works. And this is, again, one of the problems is that our, our core belief of how biology works 
if it's not based on physics, we've already missed some of the information that we need to make a good decision. I think, I think there are tons of good reasons. I think biology is going to go deeper than physics. Like, you know, they, they say that physics is like, you know, they, you stack them, physicists, chemists, and there's like the physicists are the best. Like they, and they actually act that way too. They kind of look down on everybody else, the physicists, but, um, (laughs) well, it's very complex. So they like to say that you can't understand and only I can, you know, Yeah, they, 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 you know, a lot of times they sound like preachers, those guys, when you listen to them. But anyway, um, it's interesting that you said being awake to the fullest in the sun, out in this in nature, um, leads to being asleep to the fullest. Is that a fair statement? Mm. Yes, that is that's correct. That, I like how you said that. The best way to be awake to the fullest is to get the sun, and that sets up the stage because melatonin is a is a chemical that's activated and created in the morning. Um, it's created in the morning, but it's activated at night, and so. Again, that's without blue light. And if you're exposed to blue light, you won't activate it. Or the timing will be way too late to make all the beneficial effects. And remember, you know, we've been talking about cancer. I mean, I think cancer is something that wakes people up. Melatonin has anti-cancer properties. So, I mean, you know, I mentioned that Harvard study. There's very good links to breast cancer and prostate cancer. So there's a lot of great information. Again, I've I've never seen a, a breast cancer survivor that's been told that blue light was related to their breast cancer or that was given instruction on how to mitigate blue light. I mean, there was a study showing that tamoxifen, which is a breast cancer drug, okay, with and without blue light blocking, there was better results with blue light blocking and tamoxifen than without. Hmm. I'm sure that there are no doctors, oncologists are giving this information. And this is crucial because basically what people don't realize is the biggest thing that we've missed is circadian biology and epigenetics. Circadian biology is way more important and that gets into the physics and epigenetics is involved with the environment, right? And that's why your dark skies are really an example of how we're changing the environment. The lack of dark skies is the it's environmental change. And it's, it's, the, it's the most yes, pervasive it is. symbol that's the word I was of human for. destruction of the planet. It's the most pervasive symbol Absolutely. of that. And epigenetics is what runs. Our bodies were designed to adapt to new environments. Um, you know, it's, it's strange to say, but, you know, we were, we were evolved with the changing environment and we've adjusted to all those changes. But this has happened over thousands and millions of years, really. You know, but what we have done in 10 to 20 years has been so yeah. extreme in terms of the electromagnetic spectrum that now we're exposed to. And we have no real idea on how to control that in terms of our biology. And that's really, again, the world we live in is the greatest experiment of electromagnetic frequencies and, and human biology. But it's, it's the environment. You know, ultimately, our genes only get turned on when the environment dictates it. It's the reason, you know, example I give is there are centenarians. People have lived to over 100. And there are centenarians mm-hmm. who have the breast cancer gene, but they didn't develop breast cancer. Why is that? Because our genetics are not our destiny. You know, our destiny is determined by the environment that we put them in. And if we allow the wrong frequencies to turn on those genes, you can expect, you know, that it's going to, they're going to act up, but you can change your environment. And then this way you don't have to have those expression of those bad genes. 
you just blew my mind a little bit with the epigenetics and your description of the fact that someone could have a gene and still not get the disease. Uh, and I, right. I think that our world around us has changed so dramatically. And, and that's why I do bring up the, uh, the analogy to r the fall of Rome, because I feel that it's, it's a vicious cycle in that we have disconnected our hearts and our minds from the night sky. So there's a spiritual problem there. And then we are really kind of uh, uh, just overstimulating our entire nervous system. So there's, there's almost a perception problem. And then that's impairing our thinking. It's, it's degrading our thinking. So it's a vicious cycle in that we aren't really even operating at our best to reassess the problem. Uh, as of yet. So I, I think that, um, and then when you get into the fact that we are also making ourselves sicker on top of that, it's, it really is just um, a problem that I hope, my, my great hope still remains that we can flick the lights off and, and fix this with awareness that awareness can really be the, the solution and conversations like this with experts like yourself, Joshua. Mike, do you have any final questions? We're coming up on the hour. I, I, there's, uh, I got a lot here that we could go. I don't think we could open up another, another, uh, another area with, because we could, we could go off on it. But, you know, the, what's interesting is um, in what all, like kind of summarizing everything you said, is, is that it's almost, it seems like to me that, that humans are there in what you talked about with Rome, it's almost like we're programmed for self-destruction or something like that. It, it just, it's like, every, like, for example, let's just take the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. So Ontario has been locked down for eight months. Okay. Now, whatever you want, whatever side of the thing you are, wherever you are on that spectrum of disagreement to that, let's set that aside for a second. Okay. So, that means maybe Ontarians are very compliant, say, for example. I don't know what the reason is, okay? But you know what was interesting? They, they increased the restrictions and they increased the restrictions and then they increased the restrictions again over the course of about two weeks. They shut all the schools. They did this other thing. And then, and then they closed the playgrounds, okay? And there was this massive uproar, okay? <laughs> right? Like all of a sudden everyone said, you better not do that. And they had like police enforcement of closed playgrounds. Okay. Mm. And then all of a sudden, all the police chiefs started to tweet out, we're not enforcing these laws. They're not constitutional. We won't do it. They tweeted it out. Like the York Regional Police tweeted it out. And, and like what they said is, if you're outside of your house doing any activity, you could be stopped by police and questioned. Right. And all the police chiefs said, no, we're not going to do that. No, sorry, not going to happen. And so all of a sudden there's this uproar. And then, and then on Monday, all of a sudden the science or the political science or whatever science they're looking at change. And all of a sudden those are okay now. And so it was interesting to me because I know when I, as a, a man who has four kids, I know that if my kids don't go outside of the house every day for at least a couple hours, they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay? <laughs> Especially when they're little kids. All right? And so I, I, it's interesting. I believe in the wisdom of crowds, actually. I believe that when you have an uproar like that, you've crossed a line of some kind. Like there's a wisdom to that sort of in the general population. Um, and so do you believe that the vast majority of humans are in fact sick in some way or the vast majority of humans in the West, say Western nations or well-lit nations, whatever it is, China mm -hmm. may be included in that, um, 
are sick and suffering um, in some way as a mass chronic disease that we're all kind of ill of. You Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that the pandemic has shown is that healthiness is not an external picture of what you, you look like. Because, mm-hmm. and it's like the 20 year old I mentioned that could be ripped with muscles ready to go on the cover of Men's Health magazine and has no testosterone. They're rotting on the inside, right? So mm-hmm. how you look, you know, while it's great to be thin and, and have six pack abs and, you know, big, huge muscles, you know, what really counts is what's on the inside. And that's both spiritually, you know, emotionally, you know, psychologically, right? But the truth is, is you can't see that. So, you know, people are shocked. They go, I can't believe, you know, John, he was 40 years old and he just dropped dead of COVID or he dropped dead of a heart attack or he got cancer or, and, it, and it's always a shock to people. But with what I've told you today, it's really not a shock to me because these people are not healthy in the way that we're talking about wellness being some quotient that is not disease. You know, as a physician, I was taught to find and monitor diseases, but I was not taught to monitor wellness. Mm. You know, so it's Mm. like how negative is the number versus how positive is the number? Mm. If you sit at the number zero, you're one little push away from a negative number. But if you sit at a hundred, there's a hundred steps before you get to a negative number, right? So what is your wellness quotient? How do you judge that? How do you, what are we doing as a society? We don't, we're not doing anything, right? I mean, that's, you know, why did I get into wellness? Because I realized that we're missing the boat. It started with sleep. We, we affected sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason we overpopulate, and there's a great book um, called Lights Out. Um, I'm blanking on the author right now, but, and he talks about that firelight affected our hormones just enough to allow fertility to be a much wider range of the year than just kind of in in the short Hmm. period of time that it used to be. And that boost in fertility allowed us as humans to kind of take over the planet, if you will. And so, you know, it's just just opened up another hour, brother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, maybe you'll have me. Back. I have a, yeah. the sunglasses. Like second to the sunglasses is my fascination with humans' relationship to fire. So we have to have them back mm-hmm. on, Jane. Yeah, we have to have them back. Absolutely. On. Wow, fire's big. Wow. Well, that was fascinating, Joshua. Do you have any final words for our listeners that you'd like to leave them with? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, there is a way to take the light that you're being exposed to and change it, and. Um, you know, uh, start by kind of getting some information, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm sure you'll have my website and such, but there are, you know, get some resources, learn about what blue blocking glasses are, you know, learn about what good light is, get outside, you know, some simple, simple things, just disconnect yourself mm. from technology, do a little digital detox. And when you start to feel better, know that that is your body talking to you and then learn more. Obviously there's a lot of education that has to go on to really the awareness side here, just knowing there's a problem, but then what do I do? And it's very overwhelming. And and yeah. so, but, you know, I'm here to help um, and, uh, you know, help teach people about this stuff. So. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to dig into your expertise uh, here on the Starving for Darkness podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening for, to Starving for Darkness. Before you go, though, I want you to listen to Greg Eric co-host of the Get a Grip on Light Lighting podcast and I talk about the magicians. Yeah.
down at Evluma, Greg, E-V-L-U-M-A dot com, rethinking LED in all directions, brother. That's right, and they're doing that with their Omnimax. We talked about it at the beginning, but yeah. who has 2K? Nobody. They have 2K. They have 22K, 24K, 27K. All the twos covered. If you need Keep a 2K it in the twos, brother. anywhere, you've got it covered with this. And then they have multiple wattages, and it's got that surge protection we talked about, 10-year warranty, photo control, fail-safe, hands down, the best cob on the market. That surge protection is the bomb, man. Just not getting blown out, covering off the photo cell, keeping it things real magic inside that fixture for you, keeping it low on the Kelvin temperature side, but also offering applications for other, other color temperatures as well. Rethinking LED in all directions. This whole industry needs a reset, and I'm so happy that Evluma is on the cutting edge of that. Go to evluma.com. 